0: Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. My name is Bruce Johnson. I'm joined today, as always, by my brother, Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. He is in Pennsylvania. I'm in the state of South Dakota. And as you'll notice, we're also joined by two additional guests today. We're kicking off This year, uh, this is our first discussion topic of the year, so we wanted it to be a big one, and it is extra special today. We have my dad, uh, Frank Johnson, joining us, also in Pennsylvania. And we have my pastor, Pastor Jonathan Hansen, joining us as well.
1: Hello. I feel like I'm part of a family reunion right now. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Can I just be like an honorary Johnson for today? (laughs) Yes, you're (laughs) right.
0: So we have a huge, huge episode, huge, huge topic. And so because of that, obviously the time is also going to be huge, huge. Um, So... To uh to mimic a, a Trumpism there. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's not a fan <laughs> of my Trumpism. <laughs> um, so our time, we are gonna be this is a 45 minute episode. Um, we're gonna try and contain it to 45 minutes, but that rarely ever happens. So hopefully 45 to 50 minute long episode. Yeah, it's bigger, but hey, it's a huge, huge topic. So today we are talking about the idea and principle of a kingdom-driven evangelistic style kingdom driven evangelism and what that means and all that goes into that. So there's so much to talk about and break down. Um, but as always, uh, don't forget, we have a whole bunch of other episodes you can check out as well. And we have a YouTube channel for now. We have a Facebook and Instagram page, um, for now, but, uh, we also have pages that we know we're going to be on in the future. And, uh, that would be Gab, uh, Gab TV and Rumble. So if that's a lot of links, uh, and you're feeling a little overwhelmed, that's okay. Cause we have a, nice website uh, that we've put together that collects and collates all of those for you. So go to our website, which is trdshow.net, and you'll find a list of links to all the platforms I just mentioned. And you can like, subscribe, follow all our videos, all that kind of stuff is there. Nice and simple. Also send us an email, trdshow at is where you can send those emails. We've gotten so many emails the past couple months. Very encouraging. Uh, people are inquisitive, asking a lot of questions. People send out resources. So if you have questions about what we'll discuss today, and hopefully you will, if you're listening closely, because There's so much to talk about. Send your questions to our inbox, TRD Show Time, or go to our website. A form at the bottom. You can fill it out and send questions that way as well. So, before we get into our topic today, talking about kingdom-driven evangelism. We have to talk about our verse of the week. We've been talking about this verse all week long, um, and it's a huge, huge verse that uh, we kind of picked because it relates so specifically to this topic. It, it relates to all topics, if you really understand the verse, specifically this topic. Um, and our verse this week is Relation 1, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> and it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And again, that's Revelation 1, verse 5 and 6. So this verse is just chock full of so much. It is packed to the brim of incredibly powerful doctrine that hopefully our conversation today will pull out and will apply. Um And we've talked about this a lot throughout the week, so I'm not going to cover everything. But on Monday, you know, I pulled out two central aspects, and I do want to pull those out again and just kind of hash out some of the details within those, because I think one of the most confusing parts of this might be that we're priests to God, to God, the Father of Christ. And what does that phrase mean? And I started to kind of pull that out a little bit more on Monday, but... That's the first instance of us as believers being called priests of God, is found in Exodus 19, verse 6. So look that up. And that's where um, God says, You shall be a kingdom of priests. And, and that's God's promise to Israel if they keep his covenant. Um, and that's important. You know, we've talked all the time about covenants are, are solemn oaths with uh, blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. Um, if you break it, you're still under the covenant. You're just going to face the cursings that come along with it. So what we see here is that God is telling Israel, if they keep his covenant, they will be a kingdom of priests. I would highly encourage you look up 1 Peter 2 verses 5 through 9, which goes into more details about what this royal priesthood looks like, which connects the kingdom idea with this idea of priesthood. So Look into that. Also, look into Isaiah 61, verse 6, and Revelation 5:10. talks a lot more about what that actually means. If you have questions about that, send, um, you know, trdshow at uh, is a good place to send those questions. <clears throat> but I also want to talk about what it means that we are inheriting a kingdom. So we are a, a royal priesthood, but we're also inheriting. The kingdom of christ and we're inheriting authority within that kingdom there's a ton of verses that talk about this and look each of the look each of those up matthew 25 34 is a good one daniel 7 18 uh and romans 1 5 which was our verse of the week our very last week in 2022 we talked about romans 1 5 where we are called to make all the nations obedient to christ um and there's so, so many others, but they all talk about Christ giving us the inheritance of his kingdom. So here where it says to him who loves us has freed us from our sins by his blood has made us a kingdom. That's talking about he's made us a kingdom. He, he's given us, he's brought us into that kingdom. Uh, Colossians talked about that, the, the church I uh, went to today, actually, in, we're going through Colossians. And there, the the very next passage I think he's going to get to next week talks about we've been placed in the kingdom of light we brought out of the kingdom of darkness placed into the kingdom of light and we're inheriting that kingdom. Uh, 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 what is it? It's Daniel seven eighteen talks about the very next thing that Christ does when he ascends to the throne is he delegates his power. He gives his people, he gives the saints some of that power. So that's really what we want to talk about today is that delegated power, delegated authority in the kingdom of God, Christ has given us a job to do. He's given all of us delegated authorities in spheres, separate spheres of this world. And he's called us to exercise that authority through his will. So there's a lot more that can be talked about um, in that verse. There's just so much to talk about, but hopefully that kind of introduced us to this, this theme without getting super theologically heavy, which is hard to do sometimes in Revelation (laughs) because there's so much there. Um, Anyways, let's move on to our discussion topic, which is kingdom-driven evangelism. And and I have three basic, I have kind of a general outline. And hopefully once we get into the outline, I will do as little talking as possible and everyone else will do all the talking. (laughs) So that plan, (laughs) so I know I'm talking a lot now that won't be for long. Uh, so the, the kind of the scope of what we want to talk about today, I want to kind of lay down the basic premise. What does it mean that, what, what is this discussion topic? What does that actually mean? Kingdom driven evangelism. Then I want to talk about setting the scope for that. And then I want to get into how does this affect the way we view evangelism? And part of that is living for Christ by discipling the nation. So there's so much to talk about. I know dad, Jake, Pastor Hansen, everybody on this call has a ton of stuff to talk about in those topics. So I'll introduce the theme and then I'll get out of the way. So in the same way that pe- many people limit the gospel to say the basic salvation message, which is what we taught on the show a weeks ago, limited gospel versus a full gospel. And they don't give the full gospel of the kingdom. Like Jacob is very fond of saying, um, there are those who limit what it means to evangelize. In the same way. So there, there exists a discrepancy between those worldviews when it comes to what we work to achieve in the world. So we kind of want to hash out some of those discrepancies um, <clears throat> and talk about what that actually means. So what does it mean to be kingdom-minded? So what, what do we mean when we refer to the kingdom of God? I think is kind of a good place to start. Um, And answering this question gives us the required context to actually understanding what it means to evangelize properly. And what's fascinating is we don't actually have to go very far into scripture to begin answering this question. God introduces us to our role on this earth right at the very beginning. Um, Genesis chapter one, verse 20 verses 26 through 28. Um, And I'll read this and then love to get you guys' thoughts on this as well. Genesis 1 26 through 28 says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to the fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So I'll open up the floor just for comments and and thoughts on that before I start getting into Gary North and I have some other quotes I'll pull out. Anything you guys would like to add on that verse and the, the concept of dominion being part of the kingdom oriented mindset?
1: Uh, that verse in particular, uh, I just wanted to point out my, my father-in-law shared with me something that a pastor, he knew forever, you know, how these things get passed down. Some pastor he knew who knew another pastor, who knew another pastor, uh, referred to, um, that passage as the great mandate. And they specifically tied it to, you know, we have the great commission, right. And we have the great commandment what is the greatest commandment to love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbors yourself is the second uh then we have the great commission uh but he also tied it to um the he tied all of that back and referred to that as the great mandate so we have the great mandate the great commandment and then the great mm. commission all three of them are tied together and i think they're to be understood together and so i just wanted to share those those Phrase yeah, the past. Mm-hmm. that on as that was passed on to me.
0: That's a great relation because Gary North, um, actually no, it's it's uh, Ken Gentry. Uh, he wrote a book called "The Greatness of the Great Commission," <clears throat> and in that book, he makes the comparisons between the Great Commission and what he calls the the Dominion Mandate. Um, exactly what yep,
1: you're. Yeah, that's how it's most commonly referred to.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and what's really cool is he puts them side by side. He shows the importance of both. He shows that both were given at a critical time. The two most critical points in Ameri- in American in human history was when God created the world <laughs> and when Christ ascended as king. At those two points, it's not all about right. Americans. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being nationalistic here.
1: I know that I know that <laughs> idea is huge, but. Uh... <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> Bravo. <Yeah. laughs> but, but uh, sorry, the one thing I, the one thing I left off there, not to cut you off is uh, it's also, he also tied it to uh, what he called the great objective. Mm. So exactly like you're saying. So you got the great commission, then the great commandment, the great, uh, or the great mandate, you know, uh, commandment commission. And then he said the great objective. And I think it ties perfectly into the topic here is first 1 Corinthians 1031. Really your whole podcast, first uh, Corinthians 10 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, hmm. do all to the glory yeah. of God. And those are the four greats yeah. that the set has pastor tied it. Yeah, to. absolutely.
2: Another thing to add with that, um, I think is, uh, what God is calling us to build is not going mm. to be destroyed. Amen. And that's something that we have made the mistake in, in the church and especially the dispensational church that we think that all that is done here except yeah. for the saving of souls is going to be destroyed uh in yeah. that's not God's plan. Daniel um, yep yeah. Daniel seven kingdom 14. that
0: shall not be yeah. destroyed. Yeah well and Which I think is...
1: Yep. Well and that's there, dead on because go. it's uh, scripture even calls that out with uh you know really everything being seeds right That will be, we know that in the ultimate sense, when Christ returns, we know we'll see the fullness of everything we built, right? Like that's where everything will be consummated and we'll see the true thing. I think uh, C.S. Lewis described, uh, he he tied into that scriptural analogy of everything being in seed form to say, look at the beauty of a flower Mm -hmm. after it has bloomed compared to a seed. And so, yeah, I think that is so key. We're not building God has not called us to a mission of fragility. I think that is yeah. just yeah. absolutely so there, important to remember.
0: There's a popular, um, used amongst postmillennialists, millennialists and rightly so, there's a popular passage in Hebrews that talks about, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But prior mm-hmm. to that passage, the whole chapter before that is talking about the shaking of everything else right this whole world is being shaken out and all the dust and all that's evil is being removed just like how at the end of revelation we see jerusalem descending that's the bride of christ without blemish without spot it's the perfected church that is given and handed over To Christ at the same time, a perfected kingdom is handed over to Christ. Everything is shaken out of it that needs to be removed. So yeah, those are all really, really good points. A a kingdom that cannot be destroyed. Yep. So um, to provide some further context on this Genesis passage, talking about the Dominion mandate, I have a few quotes. One of them is from Gary North. Uh, He wrote a really good book called The Dominion Covenant, um, talking about Genesis. And uh, page 27, it's a bit of a longer quote, but it's really good. Gary North said, The first chapter of Genesis proclaims the absolute sovereignty of God, the the creator. As the creator, God must be honored by all the creation, for he is Lord over all. And he lists a bunch of passages. Those are up on on screen. Um, For man to honor God, he must have respect for God's law order. Man was created specifically as God's representative on earth. Man is made in God's image. He is under God in the same way that a military man is under his commanding officer. He is to abide by his commander's instructions and... <clears throat> excuse me, he is to do it by the book, which in this case is the law order revealed to man verbally and through the creation ordinances end quote. So all of that is basically saying a God is to be honored in all of creation. He created this physical world and he expects it to honor and glorify him. And man is created in his image with a specific task and we've been given specific ways to fulfill that task. We've been given, orders as a general gives orders to those for him and we're not to just think of creation and the physical earth earthy world as like we were talking about jake and i were talking about on our last episode in 2022 as something that's just evil Right? We're not Gnostics. <laughs> um, we don't have the idea of of this physical world A, being evil, or B, just like Dad brought up earlier, something that's just going to go up in flames later, so hey, why work for anything of permanent value? Right, Those two things are completely antithetical to what we understand about the kingdom of God. It's permanent, it can't be shaken, and it's not evil. <laughs> right, It's very physical, and it's very good. Um, and you know, a, a large part of the rest of Scripture is God showing us how to exercise this dominion properly. So we're told to take dominion, and Adam's sitting there probably thinking, "Uh huh, how do I do that?" You know, and the rest of Scripture shows us how to do that. It shows us. Uh, Jim Jordan has this great um, uh, analogy uh, of the people who are um, there's Adam and he in the garden, and he has a a limited set of resources and he he needs to leave the garden to make donuts is his analogy. It's it's kind of funny. He has a really good. Yeah. All the the wheat is outside of the garden, whereas the fruit trees are in the garden. So if you want to make bread, eventually Adam has to leave the garden to get access to the wheat. He has to leave the garden to get access to more material. So Jim Jordan's theory is that eventually it was the goal. God's goal was, Hey, do do this garden well if you take responsibility in the little things i will give you more i'll give you responsibility over the greater things and so now we've been given the order to take dominion over the whole earth now we are supposed to go outside the garden and do what i'm supposed to do in this in the garden over the whole world anyways any thoughts on that? I don't want to cut anybody off.
1: <laughs> I just want—I just want donuts now.
0: I—I <laughs> I have made donuts
2: before, so if you want some,
0: I'll have, <laughs> nice. have to make. Talking this to either. a chef right there. So there you
2: go. Yep. Yep. That is interesting uh, in terms of that. That uh, we're growing in that we're taking dominion while working on are depraved mm. while working, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, uh, an uh, existence of, uh, of no sin. Yeah. Uh, you know, once Christ, uh, takes away our sin natures and, uh, and as we work more and more to that, uh, you know, to, to the end of time, uh, you know, they, there's also that gradual taking dominion it, as we fall farther away from sin we grow more into that dominion
0: yeah Mm
1: -hmm.
3: it's it's interesting there that you have um not only do we have multiple passages talking about the the end goal um and what we should be working for but now in those in those cases god also shows us how Hmm. to work for it and how he shows That this is not something that you do immediately, um, God is saying there: yep. work in the garden first. Once you have the garden set, then move on to the next. This is not something that happens overnight. You're not, you're not um, bringing out, bringing the whole world under God's rule all in one one time. And, and several verses talk about the the slow and gradual process. The the mustard seed passage.
0: I was I was just gonna say. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say it's like every time Christ is asked about the kingdom of God, it's always likened to something slow that is potent and then grows into something big. It's small, but potent, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump and in that case that's a good thing you know leaven can be both good and bad doug wilson talks about that in his book mother kirk he does a really good job talking about leaven and all the multiple uses of leaven in the bible has talked about a lot of times but it's small mm-hmm. but it's potent and leavens the whole lump a little mustard seed is this tiny but it grows into this massive tree that birds can make their nests in and can support the weight of people and you know all this kind of stuff from this tiny little speck you know So, yeah, it it starts small, but it grows into this massive thing. And we talked a lot about that in our series, our our three-part series on the kingdom of God. And I think this is kind of going to be an introduction to that series, which is cool. Um, So I think this will kind of set off the rest of that series. So if you haven't watched those other three episodes and you're listening or watching us here, um, shoot us a message or or look for those uh, kingdom of God, part one, part two and part three, um, because we have a lot more information on everything we've just discussed we're given the cursory overview. <laughs> There's so much more in all of these. Um, and we talked a lot more about that in our three part series.
1: So yeah, it's interesting. You bring up uh, the leaven example that Christ uses, because that's one of the, you're referencing to Matthew, uh, one of Jesus's big teaching blocks in Matthew. Um, and it's one of the few, if not the only times that leaven is used positively, right? Like, you know, you said it's used both ways, but typically in scripture it's used negatively. And that to me speaks of the potency of sanctification because, uh, you know, the idea of the garden, you have the fall, which affects everything. Now there's toil. Now there's thorns. Now, you know, every, every aspect of creation is affected by sin, but it doesn't affect the command, right? And so it's, it's, it's commanded towards that. And then all throughout the old Testament, you have this example of leaven being compared to sin and how sin impacts and affects everything. And it gets in and even a little bit of sin can corrupt so much until Christ comes into this teaching moment where he says, actually, you know, the kingdom is also like leaven. And he says a little bit will leaven the whole And so it's just, there's this intimate understanding, especially this Jewish audience that is hearing Christ say that, being very familiar all throughout the Old Testament, hearing how a little bit of sin just works its way through and how important it is to deal with sin. And Christ comes in and says, but righteousness, true rebirth righteousness, which we know we understand on this side of his teaching is to be speaking of the power of the spirit sanctifying us. Works the same way to build the kingdom in the whole lump, and I just think it's just such a beautiful picture.
0: Yeah, I, I just read. And, uh, I mean, it makes donuts more delicious. <laughs> exactly. There's, um, <laughs> I, I just read this this section in in Romans eight that is just marvelous for talking about. Ma- making the comparison between our salvation, what Christ did on the cross in terms of personal sanctification, and the restoration of creation now. Uh, in Romans 8, Paul talks about the groaning of creation and how it's, until this point, been groaning and it's been suffering and there's been hardship and there's been creation itself, not just people. Creation is like waiting for the day of Christ. And now, At this point, there's restoration. You know, Paul says it's been groaning until now, until this point. And then he goes on to compare how our personal salvation changes not just us, but the creation. It changes the world. It changes the physical world, the things in this world. Uh, Um, it's just a it's a beautiful comparison of the two things that you were you were just describing. Yeah. Um, cool. So I have a few other Things, But I think we've set up uh, pretty well the scope (laughs) of uh, of, of the idea that the kingdom of God is is very physical. It doesn't come from here, right? That's what Christ said when, you know, uh, Pontius Pilate asked, you're a king. Christ said, you say I'm a king. And, you know, he's asking, well, where is your kingdom coming from? You know, all this kind of stuff. And Christ says it doesn't come from here comes from heaven. My kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't come from this world. Its origin is in heaven. So when people are like, oh, it's a physical kingship. Well, yes, but because it doesn't come from here, it doesn't look quite the way that we would think it would look either. So yes, it is here, but it's in a different way than you would expect it to be. It's so much more powerful than you'd expect it to be. It can't be shaken like we were talking about before. It can't fall away. So anyways, I'll read a quick quote from Ken Gentry um, just to kind of wrap up this whole idea of dominion. Uh, mandate and, and the idea that this kingdom principle is not um, purely spiritual. Um, and I think Ken Gentry, if you don't have this book, The Great, the Greatness of the Great Commission, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's a fantastic book. Um, and I think you can get it on American Vision. Uh, AmericanVision.org is, is where I think you can get this from. Um, but Ken Gentry lists four reasons why we as Christians are strongly opposed to the idea of Gnosticism, which is what we've been describing this whole time, that the physical world is evil and what's spiritual is the only good thing here, Right. So we're opposed to the Christians, and here's why. Ken Gentry said, The Christian faith is concerned with the material world, here and now. The Christian interest in the material here and now is evident in that. Reason number one, God created the earth and man's body as material entities and all very good. Genesis 1, 1 through 31 and 2, verse 7. Secondly, Christ came in the flesh to redeem man. There's a whole bunch of verses. Those are up on screen. Check those out. Number three, his word directs us in how to live in the present material world. And oh my goodness, there's a ton of references for that. So check those out. Those are up on screen. Number four, finally, God intends for us to remain on the earth for our fleshly sojourn and does not remove us upon our being saved by his grace. Again, bunch of verses. Check those out. As is obvious from these four observations, we have a genuine uh, genuine concern with the here and now, end quote. There's so much more in that book, but hopefully that gives you a taste, and you're like, "Oh goodness, I have to have this." Y- you do. It's on page seven. Check it out uh, after buying the book, of course. Any th- thoughts on that quote um, that you guys want to bring out and, and discuss before we move on?
1: I I just uh, I, I appreciate the the fourth one. Uh, there's a quote, I think. Could be wrong on this. I think it was John MacArthur who said it. Someone asked him, like, uh, "Are you know, are Christians supposed to do anything, you know, here?" And, and he goes, "Well, God didn't just." take you the moment you prayed the sinner's <laughs> prayer, you know, the yeah. moment you placed your faith in Christ, he didn't just go, yoink, you're gone, <laughs> right? And so <laughs> I just, I, I always get that picture in my mind, because I'm pretty sure there was a state, it wasn't yoink, you're gone, but it was something like that. And so it just always makes me chuckle whenever I hear that, because I always just think, hmm, can you imagine hmm? if God didn't have anything for us to do and just pulled Christians as soon as they got saved, yep. just that mental image, Yep, always gets yep. me. That's totally rabbit trail and unrelated to anything, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I out there. yeah well i think i think that's really good um
0: one thing that i'll say just kind of wrap up this segment before we move into how this affects uh, the way that we evangelize is gary north gentry damar wilson everybody has talked about this topic at one point or another and the one thing that they share that's really really important um is that uh, two points i would say one it's impossible for man to exist and not take dominion so it's impossible for man to exist and not take dominion. You're taking dominion whether you want to or not. You, as a human being, were created in the image of God. As we've read here, you can't not take dominion. It's part of our nature to take dominion. But so, so we've established that. Part two is taking dominion over this earth is one of the central aspects of our human nature that sets us apart from the animals. So it sets us apart is that we can take dominion. The animals don't. Name me something a beaver's built that lasted them two years (laughs) that has actually made an impact and taken dominion on this world. Animals don't take dominion. This concept of dominion though is no different than any talked about. It's not neutral. And that's really important. You're either taking dominion for God or you are against his dominion. Taking dominion for God means applying his word to all areas of life. If you're not in dominion for God, in all areas of life, then you're allowing those areas of life to not to take dominion for the other side, right? So there's no neutrality. And you, know, you know, Christ said, "You're either for me or against me." And if you're not with Him, you're not sowing seeds properly for Him. So that I think segues into a discussion that I really want to get all of your perspectives on, which is how does this affect the way we view? evangelism if there is no neutrality we're taking dominion whether we want to or not does the idea of dominion affect the way that we evangelize people um somebody i'm sure we have enough uh, information here somebody can set up the opposing view and describe what usually people mean when they say evangelism Does someone want to take a crack at that what is usually meant
1: which might be incorrect (laughs) Uh, if we're talking about just broad evangelicalism, uh, there has been a massive confusion between evangelism and entertainment. Uh, that is that is one of the huge things we uh, we believe evangelism to be getting people to like us and. That is not evangelism. Evangelism is seeing people brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and then from there we move into discipleship, which is another another thing. The the modern evangelical church has blurred the line between evangelism and discipleship, and so really that leads to I hate I hate the term uh, the basic you know just like this watered down basic gospel message. I hate that term because the gospel applies to all of life. And I hate hearing the the gospel used that way we've, by pastors, right? Like I, I hate that; it drives me nuts. Yeah. I know we've it does started, you guys too. Yeah, I mean, we've started calling it the
0: limited gospel versus a full gospel, right? Where the yeah. limited gospel is: you're a sinner, Christ died for you, uh, now you're in Him, and they leave it there. That's, that's which is that's which limited, is so truncated,
1: mind-boggling to me because. That message of you are a sinner, Christ died for you, and now your sins are forgiven, you're made right before God affects every single aspect of your life. Alistair Begg always says, um, why do we need to hear the gospel every day? Because we forget it every day. And that's because that message of the gospel, it, it enables the Christian mechanic who sits in row 12 in the church to turn his wrench for the kingdom <laughs> of God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think I think th- that's the two I see. It, kind of the the two big problems I see is uh, modern evangelicalism has confused evangelism with entertainment. Yep. Yeah. And it's blurred the line between evangelism and discipleship. Yeah. And pretty much just done away with discipleship and just said, place your faith in Christ and that's it.
0: Yeah, I, I think there have been a lot of distortions to the idea of evangelism in in multiple different places as well. Um, Dad, you you know you're you're all the time going out and speaking to all sorts of different people. The nature of your job, you know, you speak to a lot of Christians. You've been to a lot of the churches in the area. You've talked to a lot of pastors. What do you think is the most common um, misconstruing of evangelism or limiting of evangelism that you've seen most prevalent in the in your area? Um,
2: the uh, the basic gospel that is being given. Uh, means nothing to the unbeliever uh when you tell an unbeliever that christ has a wonderful plan for their life they say great so do i uh you know we're we're together on this he's my buddy that's great and i can fully have christ and and change absolutely nothing uh and that's what the the uh modern day gospel does to us rather than uh the gospel that christ came on the scene with and, and what is that uh, and you guys have covered this on the show uh a few times uh that gospel of the kingdom the good news of christ reign and and of course that starts out with what christ did on the cross christ before god tells us obey my law he always says this is what I've done for you. He reminds his people, This is what I've done for you. Now obey me. Uh, and, and this is exactly what Christ did. He, he, uh, he died on the cross for the punishment of our sins. He said, Now obey me. Obey. Turn from your wicked ways. And you see, immediately, he comes right on the scene uh, under the context of he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And he starts preaching on the law. Like, Hold on, buddy. What are you doing? You know, the I can see the uh, big Eva going nuts. You know, and uh, saying, "What are you? You, you, you're, this is not the gospel. Stop talking about the law. You know, you, you were supposed to put the law away. You know, it just yeah, we're under grace. So, you know, Christ spends his preaching ministry primarily talking about the law. And uh, in reestablishing the law, correcting the law, uh, saying uh, you have heard that it has been said, you know, referring to the Pharisees. But I say, you know, refer, correcting the Old Testament or correcting the, the established religion where they distorted God's law and he's reestablishing it. And this is the gospel of the kingdom. Mm-hmm.
1: This is Christ. Well, in the... Yep. I was just going to jump on there and say like the, the, the biggest distortion, especially that the Pharisees had was, uh, obedience for righteousness. This is one thing. Have you guys seen the American gospel documentary? Um, it is, it's, uh, one of the points they make really well, it's a very well-made documentary. I encourage people to watch it, but one of the points they make very well. Um, and so I'm, I'm stealing this from them. This is not original (laughs) to me. Um, is, We're going to get uh, banned on YouTube uh, for obedience. this. Obedience. Yeah. You guys are going to get banned on, on YouTube for more than just this. <laughs> so that's no, why. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but one of the things that they make very clear, they do a really good job of, is obedience to the commands of God is not the root of salvation. It is the fruit of salvation. And that was, you know, the distortion of the Pharisees. You're, you're, you're right. Jesus came on and said, you've heard it said because the Pharisees had twisted and broken. God's law by distorting God's law and saying, you know, you must obey this in order to be saved, mm-hmm. where that is hopeless. I mean, that's works-based salvation, right? We, that is anathema according to scripture, but it is and all through the old, you see this all through the old Testament. This is not something new, but when Christ came on the scene, he reestablished and he said, no, it is the fruit of salvation um if you love me keep my commands right it's yeah. not keep my commands first it is if you love me that 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 being made new in Christ the spirit coming in and indwelling us bringing us to life is also the spirit that enables us to now obey Christ and that's yeah we i mean We've been saved so we can do that. Exactly. It was Paul that said you've been saved to
0: good works. Yep. Right? It was James who yep. said be doers of the word and not, not hearers only. Yep. You know like yep. there's so much action involved but we're saved so that we can live differently. We're saved so that we can work for the kingdom. We're saved so that ooh, ooh. we can take dominion properly can instead I emphasize of taking dominion my points
1: like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Smack> that. <laughs> Didn't even realize
1: I hit it, but <laughs> no, hey, 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 you are keep preaching, man. If I had the, if I had the organ, if I had the Chalk Knox organ, I'd be, <laughs> yeah, right. I'd be pushing it right there. But I mean, and, and please yeah. take this is, this is from someone who grew up in a very hyper charismatic movement where it was works based.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was, um, you know, the amount of times that I got told my eyes, the reason I still wear glasses is because oh, I didn't no. do something right. Oh my
0: goodness. It's because yeah.
1: I didn't have enough faith or <laughs> I didn't pray the certain way or, you know, wow. the, like it, and that was so works based. And so coming to this realization later on in my life of realizing, wait, it is fruit, you know, it, like I see what Christ did for me. And now that spurs me on to echo what David says in the Psalms yeah. where he says, I <laughs> delight in your law. Yep. Yep. Like th- any of the commands of God were just a burden to me before mm. because I thought that was what I had to do in order to earn God's favor.
3: Yeah. some. Yeah. Something I, I find very interesting going back to, going back to dad's point in talking about the Pharisees and stuff and, you know, a common argument against, talking about using the law to reveal sin to then go into talking about why then should why then do you need a savior right for for the atheist to say, oh yeah I'm, I'm all good what why are you telling me I, I need a savior yeah. and talking about the law to reveal that sin but the common argument against that is oh we don't want to go into legalism. we don't want to stray into legalism where we we take God's law and right. we go you add to past it. his law and we, we create even more rules. Right, you add to it. And I find it interesting that the Pharisees did a lot of legalism. They were very legalistic. But notice how Back Christ yes. fixed their legalism That's a good point. by preaching the law. Not preaching, yeah. not, not going away from... Mm-hmm. Going to something else to fix legalism, yeah. he went to the law yeah. to fix legalism. Amen. Amen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so today. Yep.
1: Uh, well, yeah, that's your. I like your definition of legalism going beyond the law. I would also throw in that it's a, a, a legalism is also misusing what is there because I think they, they they did that as well. And you're right, but yeah, Jesus pointed them and corrected them by taking them back to, "Thus says the Lord." Right.
2: Uh, Sunday school today, we were, uh, one statement that, uh, uh our teacher, uh, mentioned was that, uh, when he talks to the Catholics, he talks about grace. When he talks to the Baptists, he talks about law. He says, you know, you know, Catholics need to hear about grace. The Baptists need to hear about the law, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, that's so true. We, uh, you know, we're, we're tempted to say, oh, well, you, you can't. Talk about the Diluted. law, you know, and it, unless it's ninety yeah. percent immersed with, you know, you got to say a billion times, that "Christ died, <laughs> punishment of our sins," you know, but yeah. you know, and before we can mention one of the laws, for goodness' sakes, you know, uh, you know, yeah. so it's uh, it's I mean, make it so lopsided that nobody, you know, yeah. falls into legalism. Uh, but I, I think that we need a full mm. dose of God's law. Uh, to get our church straightened yep. out today, we we are so uh, anemic. We are we have no idea what God commands of us, yep. it, just because we're we're so afraid yep. of that law. We're so afraid of.
1: It. Well, yep. he was. Well, I think that's. Uh, oh, go ahead, Jacob.
3: Well, ahead. in in talking about what the our Sunday school today, um, something that, that he also mentioned and tying in with that is the is this Martin Luther cloud that we have. That it's, we're saved by grace alone. We're, that's it. You know, we we have this from coming out of Martin Luther a long time ago, but it's still fresh in our minds, this whole concept. And so trying to balance that with the law as well, and, you know, the church hasn't gotten that today yet.
1: So, well, and it's still true we are saved by grace yeah. alone. Like when we, when we deal with salvation and that's why uh, we have to be so careful in how we discuss things, right? There's a reason why you look at those ancient church councils, say like the council of Nicaea, there's a reason they were there for so long debating single words, right? Because we realize, Hey, we got to be careful how we say mm-hmm. these things. Right. And so you're right. We've not done a good job of balancing these things because we have said we're saved by grace alone. Therefore, grace is alone or you know the common way to put it is uh, we're saved by faith alone right like faith is all is that is required for salvation we are not saved by works we're not even saved by the right confessions like we are saved by grace alone through faith alone but it is never by a faith that is alone that faith always is accompanied by fruit and i think that's why using the language of paul Yep. Uh, by using the language of Paul, of James, of Peter, of, you know, bearing fruit, you know, even John the Baptist, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. John the Baptist was saying, don't make this just an empty confession, bear fruit in keeping with your confession. And so I think that is uh, uh, something your dad said, uh, I, I think is just a perfect segue into talking back to evangelism. And, and it is uh, uh, I love the statement of, the Catholics need to hear about grace and you know, the Baptists are kind of just that evangelical mindset needs to hear the law. And it's because, well, there we see this perfect dichotomy of the split of on the Catholic side, the Roman Catholic side, they believe in salvation by works. You know, they, they believe that faith is not enough. You have to be saved by faith plus merit by faith plus works and so they need to hear salvation by grace alone through faith alone because they've denied that. But on the let's go, let's pull into our camp a little bit, kind of that evangelical camp, the Protestant side of things. Let's, you know, I'll, I'll pick on myself and even say kind of this Baptist camp, right? Uh, there's been this move been away is- from obedience. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's been this uh, this move away from obedience to where we believe, uh, you know, and I say we, again, this is a broad generalization, right? Uh, we believe that a, a profession, oh, you walked in an aisle, therefore you're good, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of that name it, claim it, ticket stamped form of salvation. But all over scripture, we are called to look for the fruit. And that fruit is obedience to the commands of God. And I think when tying that back into evangelism, it is knowing who are we addressing. And so for me, when I preach, I recognize, for the most part, these are professing Christians. Okay, Uh, who's sitting out here professing evangelical Christians? They need to know what God has commanded them to do. And and, and knowing my audience, knowing these people, having an intimate relationship with these people that I preach to every Sunday, I know that they want to know what God has commanded. And and, and that's beautiful. That's great. But when I go out, I think of Paul and I've got Acts 17 open. He knew what to say. And what he preached was judgment day is coming. He established to in the Areopagus, you know, he, he, he sees the altar to the unknown God. And then he lays out who God is, the maker of all things. He's the creator of all things, that he brought man from Adam all over the world. And He so he lays out the Old Testament history. And then he says, this God is the judge who will judge you for your sins, repent, and turn to Christ. He knew who he was speaking to, and he knew that these people needed to hear judgment day is coming. And that is something we have failed at as a church, is applying the kingdom to our evangelism through knowing yep. who are we speaking to. Yep. What do they need to hear?
0: Yeah, that's that's really great. So we are officially... That's a lot. I talk a lot. No, that's fine. <laughs> You you you're talking about the, preaching the here. <laughs> I guess literally in some senses. I don't know, um, but uh, you know, I so we're 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 two minutes over our allotted time, but we're three minutes behind when we. <laughs> We're three minutes behind when we said we'd probably go to. So I'm going to push it to that. Um, (laughs) I'm going to take every minute I can get here. Uh, But anyways, I I think also this conversation of kingdom-minded evangelism, we would be remiss if we didn't also pull in the idea that I think is is very prevalent throughout Scripture. What you see in Acts in the New Testament happens when the new covenant in Christ is instituted. And you see it opening up to the Gentiles. So in the book of Acts, you see a lot of traveling. You see a lot of go, therefore. You see a lot of going, therefore, very physically to people who have never heard the gospel before. But now it was 2023 years ago, almost, right, approximately. And at this point, we also need to remember that we've reached a huge part of the world. And at this point, we need to start holding on to what we have. We need to start holding on to the inheritance that we have. We're 2000 years into this thing. 2000 years into this new covenant in Christ. We now need to look at our descendants. We now need to prepare just like Solomon and David did my descendants. What do you need to know? What wisdom they focused in on their descendants. They focused in on building beautiful things to pass down to their children. Beautiful buildings, beautiful architecture. Uh all of these things, right? So I think a huge part of this is we've lost that focus and we're purely focused on the New Testament I- of uh, the New Testament idea of evangelism that says just go to people that have never heard of the Bible before, as opposed to thinking more covenantally, hey, my king my, my children need to hear this too. My children need to be brought up in a way that is covenantally um, evangelical in this sense. So I, I think that there's a huge aspect and we'd be remiss if we spent the whole time just talking about the people out there and didn't focus at all on the people in our own households. You know, So I think that plays a big part in what is what is neglect because I think a lot of... We, we have that dichotomy. A lot of times this is a pure generalization because there are exceptions on both sides. But there are a lot of Presbyterian churches that focus very heavily on... <laughs> the next generation all these doctrines all this foundational stuff and they train them up you know all that but they don't ever go out and then there's the other side purely generalizing remember of baptists who typically don't really focus that heavily on the very on the next generation homeschooling doesn't really get preached very often from the pulpit and yet there is a ton of evangelizing you know like they have programs through their whole church going out sending people you know like um what I happen to think, you know, the connection churches that we're part of, they're trying to do both, you know, like there's the four arrows and all that kind of stuff, which is interesting. I'm like, okay, cool, you know, combining the two. I think we need more of that. And I think we need to tie the idea of evangelism, not just to going out to other people, but also, hey, the next generation is vitally important. Because if all these people here that we've just evangelized to come in and don't understand the importance of the next generation. We've lost it. We ju- oh, great. We got one generation. Next generation's gone. We got to start all over.
1: So. Bruce, it's, a, it's, it's almost like... And I know this is going to be a shocker. It's almost like <laughs> you're telling me that 2,000 years later, we've still got lost people and we've got <laughs> saved people. And the lost people need to hear the good news of Christ and the saved people need to know what to do <laughs> right. now that they're saved. I know that's probably just yeah. mind blowing. I, I I didn't even think of that.
0: That's just, wow. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that idea?
1: <laughs> no, I think, I think you're, you're, you're dead on. And I think that's the balance, right? Yeah. Because there are. And and we see this through church history. Anyone who's a student of church history understands that there have been times where the church has just had this radical fire for evangelism, Mm. but it never moved past that one generation. And then there've been other times where the church has stagnated and not reached anything because it was so concerned internally. I think yeah. of, uh, I believe it's Adoniram Judson, the father of modern missions. Uh, I'll never forget. He he said, I want to go and reach the lost people of other nations. And the church councils that he went to said, no, they don't need the gospel because mm. if God wants to reach them, he'll send an angel. <laughs> he, they, you know, and, and so... It yeah. just this mind-boggling that we think, and that's the balance, right? We yeah. have to balance the Great Commission by yeah. evangelizing the lost and training up Christians yep. within our household <clears throat> and within the church, right? We got to balance that, yeah. and that we can't forget those. And I think it's so easy. To get yes. off one side one or the way other. or the other, and we have to we have to you're right we have to build things that last, and we have to reach the loss. Yeah, and I think even just knowing that helps shape some of our mission, yep. right? Even knowing, okay, we got to balance these two yeah. things. I think uh, Psalm 78. Psalm
0: 78 is a wonderful psalm that talks about generational covenantal succession. It talks about one generation training the next generation, training the next generation, and it goes through like four generations. But it's a huge psalm. At the beginning of Psalm 78, it's going through talking about, hey, this is good. This is an example to follow. And then it talks about, here's what happened to this group of people that didn't do that. Here's what happened. And it was that they were not training the next generation and they weren't instilling in their people to train the generation after them. But also they weren't going as... Fine people they're talking to the saints around them they weren't talking to the other people even in Israel even in their own country you know so so I think there's there's a lot of that and then there's of course that um, there arose a generation that knew not um, you know Joseph and that's where we're, you know, now we got to get out of this horrible country because this is a whole generation that doesn't know Joseph you know <laughs> so yeah so I'm sure we could talk for another now we're three minutes over so woohoo we did
1: it <laughs> I, I always i always rate success but, by whether or not i go over the allotted time i'm given yeah, right. yeah yeah you know i think our
0: audience uh questions whether or not jake and i have that same philosophy <laughs> <somewhere>. um <laughs> so yeah awesome one well finishing thing,
2: uh to mention in this is i uh, yep you know to, the the uh, a terrible pun that we use in the christian faith is uh Preach the gospel, and uh, if necessary, use words. Uh, that is a terrible thing to say, but <laughs> but there is a little bit of truth to that. In that, yep. uh a, a man who is uh, uh, spirit controlled, a man who is working out uh, his salvation and obedient to God's law, is going to be fruitful in talking to others because they're already saying, "Who is this God that he has?" they're already Mm. asking the question, why are you so different than everyone else? And that's something we don't have today where the, the atheists are saying, but I'm more moral than you are in half the time. They're right. So we, we don't, the church again, going back, we don't have the law and we Mm. don't have the sanctification uh, in the law that we ought to. And, um, and that is a huge part I think uh, that we need to to focus on I, I think if we had a team of theologians working day and night we might get to the foundation of the law maybe in about 10,000 years uh, <laughs> theres so much studying to yeah. do on God's law it, it's yeah. it's phenomenal and, and we've just touched the surface of it and we're and we we're we're playing fast and loose with it uh, yeah. because it, we're yeah. not serious about it. we we take it for granted. Uh, most people in the congregation couldn't even tell you what the 10 commandments were, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Come well, I think uh, my closing thought, I, 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 promise I will end. I will, I will end <laughs> with this. Um, I think one of the principal failures in the church is a failure to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Mm. Um, So one thing I find myself constantly as a pastor having to remind people of is my job as a pastor is to equip you to reach the lost, right? I, I am to pour into the sheep so that they go out into the world and make disciples. And I think one of the principal failures within the church is we have stopped doing that we have failed to teach parents how to raise their kids we have failed to teach employees how to reach their employers employers how to reach their employees Uh, we've failed in that and that is something obviously only the spirit can bring about that but i think if we were to dedicate our focus to worshiping God, you know, the, the sum of the law, the sum of you know, you know the core if we want to boil down all of the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength yeah. and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> On this is the whole of the law and prophets. Yeah. And I think if we were to teach people what that looked like, the church if we were to teach the church what that looked like, we would see evangelism <clears throat> grow because evangelism is not the Sunday morning task. Sunday morning is worship. Evangelism is the Monday through Saturday task of the yep. church.
0: Amen. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Pastor Hansen, for joining us today, making our panel of two into a panel of four. That was. Quite the episode, so really appreciate that. And uh, hopefully you all enjoyed our very first discussion top kickoff of the brand new year of 2023. If you had questions, and I'm sure if you listened all the way through that, you will definitely have questions because there's so much there and we just scratched the surface on like a million different topics. So send all your questions, comments, words of uh, concern, or words of, uh, you know, just, hey, that was really interesting. Send them all to our inbox, trdshow at trdshowatproteimail.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'll probably get called a heretic from at least three of you. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're prepared for that. Also check out our show website, which is trdshow.net. We got a list of websites. Uh, no, well, the yes. A list of websites, list to all the many places that we are. Check us out there. Newslet- newsletter Thank you all again. So, so much. We will see you next week and remember everyone in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.